0: If you're anything like me, you're probably always looking for the next great professional in the land business who can help you do what you need to do, like a great real estate agent or a great closing agent, like a title company or accountants or attorneys or private money lenders. We all know it's not that hard to find any real estate agent or any account or any title company. But what if you want the best ones who actually understand the land investing business? There's not that many of them out there. And once you find a good one, there is no doubt they are worth their weight in gold. So how are you supposed to find these people? I used to see these posts in our Facebook group all the time, literally every day from people who were posting these announcements, hoping to find the best professionals that they needed to work with in order to make their business thrive. And I totally understand why people post these things because where else? are you supposed to go? And so I said, you know, why don't I actually try my best to solve the problem? And so that's what I did. I created several different professional directories on retipster.com that are completely submitted and curated by other members of our community. So say, for example, if you're looking for a great investor friendly title company in Virginia or someplace like that, and you want to find all the title companies that have worked really well for other investors in the community. Well, guess what? We have that now. Go to retipster.com forward slash directory and you can find all the different directories that we have going right now. And we're actually creating more of these as I speak. So far, we've got one for land specialized real estate agents, accountants who understand the land business and investor-friendly title companies. So if you ever need help finding these people in whatever market you're working in, this information is here for you. And we've made it extremely easy to sort these people by state And by their specialty, and we include links to their websites. We give their phone numbers, their contact information, everything. And guess what? It's 100% free. That's right. You don't have to pay anything for this stuff. You don't even have to give us your email address. I'm serious. This is unlike anything else you're going to see out on the internet. This is simply an act of love for the land investing community. So if you would find that helpful... Or better yet, if you know of a great title company or land specialized real estate agent or accountant, I'd invite you to come and submit that information too. The more of this information we can gather, the better. So again, all you have to do is go to retipster.com forward slash directory. Or if you go to the RE Tipster homepage and you go up to the navigation bar and hover over resources, you'll see a menu item called professional directories. If you click on that, it'll take you to the same place. So just wanted to be sure you knew about that so that you can find the people you need. And if you know of some great people, you can submit their information as well. Hey, everybody, how's it going? This is Seth Williams and Ajay Sharma. You're listening to the Re Tipster podcast, episode 175. So today we're talking with Ryan Love. And I met Ryan not long ago at the Land Unconference Inner Circle in Minneapolis. And I wanted to get him on the show because there's a few things about him that struck me as a really good uh, conversation material. So a little bit about Ryan. He is a pretty young guy. He's 23 years old. And he started into the land business right out of college after learning about it through a friend. And this guy hasn't wasted any time. He started in April, 2023. We're recording this in November, 2023. He's done 23 deals. He has four people on his team. And today we're going to figure out how he was able to get so far so fast. And we're probably going to pick up a lot of other interesting things along the way. So Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: Awesome. I'm doing great. That was, I think, the first introduction I've ever gotten and uh, likely the best one as well. So thank you, Seth. Yeah, It's an honor to be here. I might be the least qualified person to ever be on the show. Um, I I appreciate you
0: having me. (laughs) We will decide on that shortly here. Well,
2: Seth keeps letting me back on the show, so I think you're good, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, if I'm good here, then I'm good, huh?
0: (laughs) Well, Ryan, why don't you just I mean, beyond what I just said there, I I was correct on all those facts, right? I didn't mess anything up.
1: Yeah, that was all correct.
0: So like, take us back. Like when you discovered the land business, how did this all come to fruition? What made you decide that this was legitimate and worth jumping into with both feet?
1: Yeah, so- I first discovered the land business in, in college. One of my roommates what, was working in the land business. And so, you know, we we talk, of course, and, and he would tell me like, Ryan, I just made $20,000 on a deal. I'm like, no, yeah. like, Ryan, you're lying. Like, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. Just thought it was completely impossible to be doing what he's doing. So I, I guess it took me a while to, to think that it was possible. But uh, anyways, I, I started in school a bit like shadowing what he was doing a bit. So he was doing some deals on the side. He was working with Sumner Healy before he he had started the whole Leah Leah program and everything. So he was, they were working together. He was teaching them how to cold call like the ins and outs of the business. And then he would get back and I'd be like around like teach teach me how you like make a mailer and everything. So uh, started there in college doing a little bit part-time is pretty hard. I was going to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo studying mechanical engineering. So the class like and the work there was was probably one of the harder like colleges and like programs I could find. So it's definitely challenging, like trying to do this and trying to really start out as I was going through college. So that was a, a bit difficult there. And I, and I was just working through it. I, I'd also like get to summer. And at one point I'd sent out like, I don't know, when I first started, I sent out a couple thousand mailers. Right before going into an internship, and then I, you know, I was working at an oil refinery doing some some complex like work that required like a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. And then I would get home and try to figure out how to comp a property and like almost lose my mind. And I was just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. And so I I, <laughs> I stopped for a bit and then like gave it a couple more quarters at school and kind of planned it out a bit to where I knew I if if I took a lot of units in these next two quarters, my last quarter I'd have a lighter quarter. And that way, I could have some time to develop, like devote some more time to land, and then get into that side of things. So the last last quarter, I, I had an easier load and was able to like do it on the side a bit more. Still not with much success. Mostly just burned money on mailers, which is which is fun. Uh, so, so yeah, that, <laughs> that's
0: fun, <laughs> man. You're not the kind of guy I would party with. I don't think.
1: Yeah, no, definitely not that fun. But uh, learn, you know, learned along the way. And so I, I graduated in April, and I had until August, so I had four months until my job, which I had lined up, working for, for one of Chevron's refineries in El Segundo, in LA. So I had four months to, to really figure out, like, hey, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? So uh, the first couple months were definitely stressful. I was I was down on money, and uh, <laughs> yeah. was was pretty down at one point. And I remember. Uh, my roommate ron walking in he's like oh man they're like are you gonna send more mail and i'm like ah oh, like i don't know like and he's like what i'm like oh i'm almost like i'm kind of running low on money here rylan he's like what you're making money like you're making money like keep sending mail uh, i showed him my bank account he's like where did it all go <laughs> and uh <laughs> that was just a bit concerning at that point i had bought a property and like that's where like a lot of the money had gone it was taking a while to close and everything so It's a very extended time period, and I didn't really recognize that or like know how long. It's kind of like three, four months out in advance. All the money you're spending now is when you're going to get it back. So right at the start, like burnt through a lot of money, like bought a property I probably shouldn't have bought, and was like just getting really low in the bank account when I should have just like had it funded, you know. But we didn't have the same connections that we do now. So
0: well, that's a, a really good issue to talk about in terms of the lack of money. I mean, when I think of where I was at 23. Like I heard they had a few cents to rub together, you know, I mean, making a real business out of this that required any amount of capital, even though it's a reasonably small amount for land, but even so, like I just didn't have money. So how did you do it? Like, did you have a bunch of cash just sitting around or, and when you do run out of cash, like what then do you get funding from other people or how do you keep paying for your mail? Like help us understand that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I was very fortunate and, and like privileged to have my parents like helping me out until like college ended. Uh, so I didn't really have like they pretty much allowed me to save all my money from whenever I was working outside. so yeah I, I'd been able to save up that money which I <laughs> I know a lot of people just aren't able to do so I'm super grateful to uh, have parents that allowed me to do that If they would have known that I would have started a land career with that money they probably would have made me pay for my own school
0: <laughs> yeah. I forgot comfortable Sharon, but like how much money was that like how much did you find useful to get started?
1: Yeah so I started with around 30,000. And so, yeah, I've been saving it since high school. Yeah, whatever job I work, I I would save most of it. So, yeah, at at the time, Ryland checked in on my bank account. I was down to around seven or eight. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was definitely burning through it for a time. But uh, buying property and everything and and sending mail.
0: When you mentioned a property you probably shouldn't have bought on this first one. So why do you say that? Was there something like, did you overlook something or did something go wrong? or, Or was it actually good, but you were just surprised at how long it took or what happened there?
1: Yeah. So that first, one of the first properties I bought was in New York. And I don't know if either of you have worked in New York or heard about New York.
0: I've heard about but it.
1: But whatever time it takes to close a normal deal, you just have to like double that time frame. So I bought one for like 9,000 in New York. I think it was around. I mean, it was a good deal. It ended up selling for 24, I think, but it
2: was just all the money was out for so long. Yeah, you shouldn't have bought that, man. I hate when nine grand turns into 24,000 bucks. (laughs) I'm teasing you, of course. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's going to close, but in your mind, it's like, there's just like, I'm
1: running out of money in my bank account. Like, and of course, too, it's like this job's coming up that I have to take, like, I have to make a decision soon, like whether I'm going to take this job or not. So that was just like, my my roommate had offered to fund it. And I I think I just, he thought it was worth 30. So I was like, Oh, I want to keep all the money. I was just greedy. Uh, (laughs) So that was a mistake there. But uh.
0: yeah, there is something psychologically very difficult about that. I'm sure probably most land investors out there can relate to this on some level. It's just like, you don't know when it's going to end. Like, when will this thing sell? Like, what is taking so long? This is really kind of a weird analogy. But when we had our first daughter, we tried to do a home birth. And problem we ran into was my wife went into labor and It was called uh, Failure to Progress. It's where labor sort of starts and then stops. And it starts and it stops. And this happened for four straight days. So none of us slept for four days. It was awful, just truly awful. And eventually the midwife was like, you know what, there's nothing else I can do here. Let's go to the hospital and see what's up. And we went there and eventually found that the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck three times. And that's why, oh you know, our daughter wasn't coming out because she literally couldn't. But thank the Lord for modern medical advancements. Our daughter was born just fine. But going through that process, I remember it was like one of the hardest things I've ever had to live through. Just not knowing, is it going to be another hour, another hour, another? Like, when is this going to end? And in hindsight, you look back, it's like, oh, yeah. That was fine, it was okay, but when you don't know the future, when you don't have the benefit of hindsight, man, that's tough. Do you have a better way of coping with that now, Ryan, or is that just something that happens on every deal? like you just have this uh nagging how am I going to survive this thing?
1: no, I mean now it's it's a lot better. I have enough money, I've done well enough to where I'm not really stressed about money. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously everyone wants more, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I bet you know right at the start, it was like, okay, like I'm really far down and. At this point, I'm at a point where I, I'm not yeah, I'm not too concerned. So, and I'm also doing a lot more uh, double closes. So you know, the money's not out very long. If it's out, it's it's out for a day or two. So I'm keeping most of the money instead of having it all in inventory. I could imagine with someone who's buying all their deals cash, if having it all in inventory right now, I'd probably be thinking like the same thing. But it's it's nice to have some money in the bank. Just uh,
2: absolutely, even though it's not doing much, but uh, <laughs> it's nice. It's a good comfort, right? Especially as the market does what it's doing. You know, I think when you're starting out in business, especially like I know when I was in college, you watch like enough of Uncle Grant, right? Good old Grant Cardone, and what does he say? Cash is trash, which is just not the mentality to have in a land business when marketing is very capital intensive. If you're using direct mail, right, you got to drop thousands and thousands of dollars very regularly. Um, And then if you're self funding your deals, you're buying your own inventory. You don't actually know what your inventory turnover cycle is. You don't actually know when you're going to sell that property. So you could, I remember early in the land business, I'd be like, oh, this is awesome. I have 130 grand in the bank one month. And the month after I'd have like $35,000 and that, you know, it's just like this massive swing. And so I actually don't fund like almost any of my own deals anymore unless they're just smoking Deals. Like I'll work with either debt or equity partners, or I'll double close, like you guys are mentioning. I also need to ask: Is your your old roommate Rylan Loader? Is that that Rylan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just met him out in Vegas. Super nice guy. He's uh he's crushing it. So that's that's cool, man. That that's probably a fun little party house you guys had. Also, Seth, I have to <laughs> commend. I feel like you've got so many different birthing stories. Like what? Didn't you have like the world's biggest head, or you were like a giant baby or something when you were born? I feel like you told this when we interviewed Dave last year. Uh... Am I making this up?
0: Uh, no 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 my my (laughs) head is not that big but my body was huge i was 12 (laughs) there was something because you were like a special
2: like you were like a special birth right
0: yeah i was born at the uh northwestern hospital in chicago the one downtown and i remember my I don't remember, but I was told my my, my birth was a <laughs> like a literal experiment. Like my parents got a discount on my birth because my mom had diabetes, and it, it was like this uh, experimental procedure they were using. So everything was fine, sort of, depending on what you think of me. But yeah, the thing is, because it was an experiment, I commonly go around saying that yeah, I was born at the Northwestern Experimental Hospital.
2: Experimental
0: hospital, it was. <laughs>
2: That's incredible. That's my story. All right. Sorry. I didn't mean to get us off track there. Bring us back, Seth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So next question on the list, Ryan. Uh, So you've done 23 deals to date, worked at this, you know, since April of this year, it's now November. So you've not even been at it that long, which I'm amazed by. But help us understand, like, have your deals evolved or changed? Like, what do the first ones look like? What do they look like now in terms of like the size, how you find them, how you fund them, how you close on them? You know, I'm I'm hearing double closings a little bit. So just, you know, are you intentionally steering the ship in a different direction in terms of your strategy of how you close on these things? Or what have you learned so far and how have you intentionally changed things?
1: Yeah, so I've definitely very intentionally changed things I think as a lot of people I think everyone talks about this but starting out with, with very small deals buying for five to ten thousand selling for 15 to 20 first deal was in uh, costilla County Colorado don't share this market with anyone it's it's kind of a hidden gem so don't <laughs> <laughs> don't go posting about it or anything
0: your secrets safe with me don't worry okay
1: thank you thank you everyone listening to don't don't mail there that's all me so, <laughs> yeah, I started off with, with five acres there, bought for six and a half, sold for 13. I think I came home with like a little over 3,000. And at that point, I was still like down on money for mail. So that, that one didn't feel too great. But it's still the, the first one. And then a couple other similar ones. One big one for me was just breaking even. I, I think it was, uh, again, another county. Don't, don't share with anyone but uh teller County Colorado but uh
0: <laughs> oh it all makes sense now this changes everything
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so I, I bought that one and I think that was the one I finally broke even on that was that was a big step for me is I was I was down up until that point and then had, had come back to even and that that was or like close to even maybe not even even just like close to it and uh, that was a big one so yeah but anyways now uh, the the deals that I focus on are, are Pretty much anything I'm targeting. There's still a couple old leads that that trickle in, but I'm really targeting thirty thousand in spread from from buy to sell. So I mean, I'd be fine with buying for a hundred thousand, selling for one thirty. I'd be fine selling for two hundred thousand, selling for. At that point, you want to go a little bit higher just because the commission's probably like two forty. That's what I'm looking for when I'm double closing, and uh, I, I don't really want to go anything under. Sixty thousand dollars like market value as far as what I'm targeting, yeah, so so most of them I'm double closing now at the start, I was like funding it, having my friends fund it, which was not <laughs> not ideal uh, definitely takes like a lot of explaining and then they're just checking in with you every week, like Ryan, like how's the property looking? I'm like, I, I don't know, <laughs> like, I hope it sells, <laughs> so don't do that, yeah, now if if I need there, there's a lot of people I, I use one one person to fund. He doesn't like spreading his name out there too much, wants to work with a couple guys. But I also don't need funding for too many deals. So if I do, I'll go to him. But if if not, I'll double close. And yeah, targeting market values are around 60000 or higher. So yeah, that, that's how it's changed. Again, going from small to large.
0: Under what conditions will you not double close? Just like buy the thing outright. Like what does it take for you to say, I could double close this, but I won't. I'm going to just buy it outright. Or maybe... I'm just trying to figure out like what what the box is in terms of when it goes that way versus another way.
1: Yeah, so what I'll do is I'll just start with a really low cash offer. If you know the property's sixty thousand, I'll probably start with like twenty five thousand cash, or we should go up a bit in numbers so there's more of a disparity there. But uh, maybe if it's a hundred thousand dollars, maybe I'll start with like forty five thousand dollars cash, and then they're like, "What? No, my property's worth like we we need more." So I think that's a good. Good strategy to anchor them pretty low in pricing, and sometimes they'll just say yes. And when they say yes, you're just really happy because it's like a super good deal. And then at that point, it's like okay, like I'm good putting my money down, or I feel confident having a funder putting their money down. And then after that, if they say no, then then I'll like say, hey, we structure deals in another way, and then sort of explain like what a double close is and why we can offer more money if if we give them like that structure of
0: a deal. So. Are you uh? Are you always able to find title companies who will do the double close with you? Yeah. So in the
1: states, I work in more. I I have it pretty set, and then uh, yeah, I can normally find someone who who will be able to double close. I mean, some days it's not really important for me that it closes two times in the same day, which would be like a double close. I just want to know that someone's like has put down earnest money for the property. I don't care if it closes in two weeks, right? It doesn't technically have to be a double close. I just want to know that someone hey they're putting earnest money down they're serious. I know we have other calls even if they back out, you know, we'll take the earnest money and remarket the property. What I can't have is just buying a property that I think's worth 40,000 and then it turns out it's it's worth nothing because you you didn't do your due diligence or something happened. A whole number of things can happen, like things you can't even think of, so uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, has it ever uh fallen apart on you? Like I know you mentioned that one deal where you you considered it a win to break even on it? Like, have you ever lost money or have you ever done the double close where it's like, okay, close the A to B transaction and then the B to C transaction falls apart or?
1: No double close has really fallen apart on me. Yeah, that's been pretty good. <laughs> but again, I like I've done 23 deals, right? And probably like 15 of them double close. So, I mean, at some point I'm sure it will not work, but I think you, you can be safe about it. You know,
2: there's different. Ryan, we do quite a few double closings. Tell me about a deal where you thought you were going to make a lot more money than you actually did. Because, you know, sometimes you underwrite these and you're like, oh, I'm going to make $30,000 on this double close. And then you get the HUD. And for us, like we've got one closing, I think this week or next week, we thought we were going to make $40,000 on this double close. We got it under contract for one hundred five, dollars and we thought it was worth one forty five. dollars And so there was 40K spread and it was going to take home a little bit less than that. We had two buyers fall through an extension with our seller so the only offer we were left with was one at one oh seven. So we have a two thousand dollars spread. Had to make it an assignment instead of a double close, and we had to work something out with the buyer agent so we didn't get eaten out of that. But it was like I think on the HUD, it literally ends up being like a twenty one hundred dollar fee to us somehow. And so I, I'm sure if you've done fifteen deals, you you had to have gone through something. Tell us about a time like a deal. Did not go as planned, and what did that assignment fee end up looking like? I haven't had a double close that that has
1: gone that way.
2: Yet. <laughs> he said, "I'm not as I, bad I as you are, Aj. Th- <laughs> Our double closings <laughs> are a lot better." How do I say this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, good stuff. Well, hey, uh, well, does that sound? No, sense? I mean that's that's fine. It's uh you know, a, I'd hate to say like a matter of time, but like if you do enough transactions. you'll you'll hit one that skunks and you'll have to come back or comment on this and let us know what happens there. Hey, I hope you never do though, Ryan. You seem like a really sharp guy. So (laughs) I just hope you continue getting these deals where you think you're going to make 20 grand and you do, because I wish they were all like that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's some like where we haven't gotten, like we'll put earnest
1: money down for all of them. And there's some, if you don't get a contract signed, you forfeit earnest money. So, I mean, that's the thing about double closing, right? Like I'm not too concerned about it either way i, I mean I, I have had one deal if you want to hear <laughs> the worst deal i just i mean i'm gonna lose a couple thousand But up um, let's hear it yeah it's one at colorado mountain states teller county don't don't blow it up guys i had bought one there half acre lot and i think i think it's just the setbacks it's a little steep towards the back and it's a weird shaped lot it's kind of a, a wedge lot and so i think the setbacks push like where you can actually build further back than i would have imagined. I'd done so many deals there, it was like I, I I was like, I know it'll sell, but there's like thin margin, like I'll just buy it and uh yeah, I'll probably lose a couple thousand, but uh it's, it's a good learning experience.
0: Yeah. I've actually had similar uh-oh moments with those kind of wedge lots, and it's usually the setback issue. Like it just kind of screws up how much space there is, if any space to build anything.
2: I think one of my best deals ever, I always joke, is one that I actually broke even on. So <laughs> This is kind of a funny story. I had uh, the second lot I ever bought was off of another investor. And I thought he was just a sucker. It's so funny looking back on this stuff. Again, it was my second deal ever, right? Give me some grace. But uh, I won't name him. He's present in a lot of the communities. And I've met him and chatted with him. And I always give him a hard time when I see him. It's super fun. But it was this half acre lot in a secondary Orlando, Florida market. I had sent him a blind offer for like 4200 He wanted 4500 Bought it threw it up on the market for 30000 actually got an offer from Miranda Homes, and then found out there was an issue with the zoning and we needed a variance. The variance wasn't accepted. And so basically the lot was useless, right? And I think this guy knew that it's fine because when I was chatting with him, he was telling me, hey, man, I know you're newer to this. You should really check out the Facebook groups. And I'm like, dude, I am, I think at the time I was 22, 23. And I was like, who is on Facebook? <laughs> you know, because uh, I deactivated my Facebook account late high school, early college, sometime and then, because young people don't really use Facebook. Well, sure enough, it is a networking hub for land investors, where I then got plugged into community and met all my coaches and friends and got plugged into things and went to events and all the things. So. Really funny because I bought this lot for 4500 I ended up selling it to some guy who wanted to like dirt bike on it for 4500 But if I hadn't bought that deal, I probably wouldn't be here today. I don't know. That sounds way too dramatic. But I wouldn't know half the people that I know now. And I think I'd be living a very different life. So I have that gentleman to thank for scamming me into buying that
0: lot. <laughs> I was thinking a sort of a similar-ish thing just hearing Ryan's story about how he uh, was roommates with Rylan and just these little interactions we have with people. I mean, I don't know if you knew him before you were roommates, or it was just like dumb luck or what, but it's just crazy. how had these little things happen where it's like, man, if that thing hadn't happened, like my life would have gone in a completely different trajectory and probably would not be as awesome as it is today. So.
1: Yeah, definitely super grateful for R- Rylan And again, like you said, completely different path. If I didn't go to that same school and live in that same dorm room freshman year, It's just like, oh, I'd probably be like in a normal job, whatever I was going to do, you know, engineering. So really grateful for him.
0: Huge shout out. (laughs) So try to think of any other unique things that you're doing about your business that most other land flippers aren't doing. And I don't know if I can keep saying that because I feel like a lot of land flippers are doing things way different from each other. Now there's so many different Directions you can go in different ways you can market now, but you know I'm hearing double closings is kind of a big deal for you, and then using funders when you need to. I don't know does anything else stand out as like I do this, and I don't know many other land flippers who do it this way.
1: Yeah, so I don't know like how unique this necessarily is, but definitely one thing that I, I try to focus on is just not really worrying about the disposition side, just passing every deal that I get to a realtor. I think eventually maybe it makes sense, but for now, I'm working on just building the best team possible to get contracts signed. And that's all, should be all my focus every day getting contracts signed. And then after that, transaction coordinator, realtor, and then just don't worry about it. I have properties that are on market. I don't really know what's happening with them, but I I don't, you know, maybe I should check in a bit more. I get some updates every now and then, but uh, I just want to focus on getting contracts signed and all that. So I, I would say that's, unique. Maybe one other thing that I guess maybe unique or, or strength, I guess, would be systems. I'm always trying to build new zaps and, and like automate that. Have one for like automating contracts and like pushing my leads through a funnel like where we, you know, you just do it with a click of a button, uploads the contract, and then from there, once we get the contract signed, it like sends updates, updates tasks, upstate, updates the stage. So the leads are in different spots. So I'd say that's maybe the other unique thing about it. Trying to think, do do either of those sound unique at all?
0: (laughs) Well, it actually made me wonder, and you sort of just told me a couple, but are there any other like really helpful zaps in your business? Sometimes I think about this, like it's one of those things where there's probably millions of different brilliant ways to use Zapier, but like I only have so much of an imagination. I can only think of so many ideas on that, but like anything else come to mind? Um, Beyond those that are like, oh, this was a huge deal to have this zap in my business.
1: I think contracts is probably the biggest one, but I have a bunch of other smaller ones. For example, I think there's probably a way to do this with like a better platform. But like I have all my Google meetings after I record them. I probably just need to use Zoom, to be honest. (laughs) But uh, it automatically organizes them based on the title of the meeting. So that was like one thing where like I can't, I don't want to be going through and, and clicking each one of those. Anytime a lead gets put into our CRM, it's normally through a zap. Yeah, that's another like every launch control gets funneled through a zap. Mail leads get funneled through PatLive and then to a zap. So yeah, those are really the only things that I can think of. Again, I'm not doing much on disposition. So there might be some other ideas that you could have there. But I think getting familiar with Zapier is like a huge thing if you're you know, starting out, you want to be familiar with that platform because you just run across like some small unique things in your business that maybe other people haven't solved. And you know, I'm sure there's other ways to get around it, but that's kind of an all-in-one platform that you can get super familiar, super automated with. So
0: So for the the Zap thing for like Pat Live, for example. So do you give your the Pat Live caller a Google form where they fill out the person's information and then when they submit it, where does it go through Zapier? Like what different apps are working together?
1: Yeah, so it goes when pat live fills out the form, I'm not I've done this from from the very beginning. They they fill out a Google form and then from whenever there's a new response in the Google form, it that's the trigger in Zapier. So, once they fill out the form, new lead gives me state, county, APN and then maybe lot acreage, and then from there it'll zap to follow up boss immediately and like fill out all that contact information. Uh fill up like I have tags for state and county that I use for the, the contracts as well. So it automatically fills those out if they give it to us. So yeah, just straight Google forms to
0: follow us. Awesome. Are you using like Pandadoc or something? Or what uh, contract uh digital signature software are you using for that?
1: I'm using sign now. I'm not sure if that's the best one, it's just
2: <laughs> what I use. I think it's the maybe the cheapest one. <laughs>
0: Cool. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I think they're all the same concept for sure.
2: So just real quick, in terms of a zap, that's been really helpful for us, we've we've linked DocuSign, which is what we use instead of SignNow. No particular reason besides we just thought DocuSign communicated a level of professionalism just because I feel like all the big boys use it. I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's the story I tell myself. Do it that way you will. <laughs> um, but we linked DocuSign to both Slack and OpenPhone. For contracts that we don't get signed live, like on the phone with sellers, every time the seller opens that contract, our team immediately gets a Slack notification and an open phone text message that says XYZ just opened this document. So now we know they're looking at it and we're going to call them and get on the phone with them and try to get the contract signed. So for all folks who are struggling to get their contract signed, that's a good one that's been really helpful for us.
0: So the goal is to call them while they're looking at the contract? And you can yes. say, like, I see you're looking at the contract, sir. <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay, so we're never that. We're, yeah, we're never that weird yeah. about
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe no contracts, but a couple of the straight <laughs> <hours>, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Seth, you're so funny at these voices, man. You always crack me up with that. So, you know, again, we, 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 we try to be nonchalant about it, right? But it's just like a. Hey, Ryan, um, just wanted to touch base. Like they don't know we've looked at it. They're going to think it's a coincidence, right? Um, I'm not going to call it out. We're going to get on the phone with them. They're going to see it's us. They're going to answer the phone. But we just, uh, I'll tell you, when we looked at our business, um, I talk about this frequently, but we really core focus on like five or six metrics. And those are, and I'm always going to repeat them when I get an opportunity to, because they are the most important thing, I think for most acquisitions is your, your raw leads, your gross leads, whatever you want to call them, but leads that come into your pipe. Your net leads, how many of those did you actually speak to on the phone or communicate with or whatever? Of those, how many are you making offers on? Of those, how many are you getting accepted? Are you closing well between you know the phone call to getting an offer accepted? And then of those acceptances, how many actually signed the contract? And I remember, it's probably back in like April or May, but I remember looking at our numbers and we had gotten six contracts verbally accepted and three signed. And I was like, so you're telling me if I figure out this one problem, in my business i can double it right like this is this is a process gap is what this is we're not setting expectations we're not selling well how do we close the gap and for us it was those notifications right and then we get on the phone with them and then something we do a lot is we now get our contracts signed live on the phone so as soon as somebody says yes our acquisitions manager will populate a contract cuz they're, they're templates right you just pop in the info you need You can set all that stuff up in DocuSign and make it real easy, I think. (laughs) I'm not doing it day to day anymore, but I always tell myself it's easy and I tell the team it's easy. But they're getting it done, so it's easy enough. And then we just walk them through it, right? Hey, I noticed you haven't signed yet. Did you have any questions I can answer about the contract? No, I don't have any questions. Great. If you don't have any questions and we're aligned in terms of terms, can you just go ahead and click this button and click that button and then boom, we're signed. Yeah, we're not that creepy, Seth. (laughs) Hey, I see you. Look, again, man, you're good at the voices. But... Uh but but it was a good little process, Phil, for us. It's helped us get a lot more signed.
1: Yeah, I listened I listened to your interview with Mayor. I, I heard about that. I'm gonna start implementing that. I, I thought that was pretty brilliant, I, Just stay on the phone, put them on hold. So yeah, it's that's a great thought.
2: I can't say I came up with it. I didn't spearhead the whole uh, you know, these metrics and this process. I like stole all this from household sailors and then made it my own. Um but you do enough, you know, you do enough of any process enough times it becomes your own in some way. But Thank you for that compliment. I will take the brilliance that you've given me. <laughs> Seth, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: <laughs> well, I was just thinking, because I know you do a pretty good job of uh, tracking this stuff, Ajay. Do you have some kind of a, could one come up with a series of zaps that starts by tracking the top level? Like these are all the names we pulled from Data Tree or PropStream or wherever. And then these are all the ones we mailed out. These are all the ones that responded. These were all the ones we sent contracts to. These were all the ones that said yes. These were all the ones that closed. Like, could you set up a series of spreadsheets that just kind of tracks from one to the other with Zapier or something just to make it? Cause like, that's the issue I have with tracking this stuff is like, I can't do this manually. Like, I don't want to go back and do all that one by one by one. Is that what you got to do? Or do you have some kind of system of zaps or something that's just like snap your fingers? There you go. Here's the numbers you need to look at.
2: Yeah, like I I wish I had a really good answer for you Seth. I have my team track it manually, which means like they're subject to some error, but over a long enough time horizon it all kind of averages out. There are some of those that you could certainly automate. My contract signed and contract sent, you could definitely have automations for that. I think gross leads, you could easily have an automation every lead that comes into whatever your CRM is, right, could be populated. I think net leads, maybe you could track people that Pick up the phone on Open Phone or whatever dialing system you use. The tricky one that I think would be offers made and offers accepted. Like you kind of need a manual touch there, otherwise, how do you track that? But I do think you could get the other four metrics in there if you wanted to engineer it. Ryan, you're you're an engineer background man. Where's where's your brain go on this? You like you're that's that's what you're wired for, right? Is this kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. As far as contracts, like offers accepted. So whenever someone sends or accepts an offer, you're going to send a contract. So that's how you could track that one. I have a zap that it could like pretty easily, right? If whenever a tag gets added, you could just add to a tally. As far as the rest of it, I think Google, Google Sheets is really powerful in, in tracking all of that. I just have all my employees fill out. They each have a set of KPIs. Yeah, they're, they're filling it out each day. And then, you know, it's populating red, yellow, green. So I think a lot of it I, I do manually. You could automate uh, some of it to an extent, and there's always room for more automation. And then looking at, at also getting that into like, I don't have this yet, but I want to have like a weekly scorecard of like everything. But uh, it's only daily right now, but I want to have the big ones. Like probably you
2: have, Ajay, uh, you know, set up there. Still working on it. <laughs> well, if you already have the daily metrics, you could probably just create a couple of, uh, functions in the spreadsheet and it would like that's how we do it is we have them input it daily but we have the weekly metrics automatically spit out because we just have all the equations linked up and stuff yeah that that's what we
1: have as well we have a weekly section but i want like i want to format it a bit differently like the the score i think you've read traction from what i've heard yeah like i want to have that exact scorecard in there so that's what i'm working on and those are a bit different than like each kpi so yeah, it's, it's a matter of how fast my Google Sheets guy will work because I, I'm not figuring that out.
0: <laughs> so I'm looking at you, Ryan, and I, you know, I see you're 23. I've seen you come pretty far in a pretty short amount of time. And I'm trying to diagnose, like, why is this true? Like, what are you so good at? Or why are you able to do this when a lot of people can't even get started? And if they do get started, they don't last past their first campaign. Did you just kind of get lucky here and there? Could you attribute it to that? Or do you just have the stick to itiveness where you're gonna make it work no matter what? Or what would you say is your unfair advantage, for lack of a better word? Like why were you able to make this happen when a lot of people have not been able to?
1: Yeah. So I think the there's like pieces of all of that to what I've been able to do. I think the biggest like luck factor was living with Rylan and having him help me out. So it's just like We lived together like for the past two or three years, probably getting close to three years now. So that's been like super helpful and and very lucky, right? Like living with another person who does this. We're going back and forth and he's like pushing me to send more mail even when I'm almost running out of money, which most people don't have.
0: That's actually huge.
1: Yeah, storming into each other's rooms when like you're on your phone. It's like, what are you doing on your phone? Like there's money to be made. Like (laughs) like, get back to work. And then He'll come in in my room. I have a whiteboard right right over there, and he'll like. I remember one day he wrote down like Ryan's launch control twenty five thousand. He wrote Ryland's launch control fifty thousand. And I, at that point, I was like, oh man, I, I got to get him back for this one because <laughs> he he had just upgraded his plan. So we're always competing. So I think like having him like be there, and, and I'm super grateful to have him. And I, th- I think that would be like the most lucky thing, and, and super grateful to have him. The other like thing that I think has contributed to it a bit as to why like a lot of people don't succeed is a lot of people get into this when they are a bit older and there's like more risk involved. So, right. Like I don't have, I don't have a house I need to pay for. I pay my brother for rent and we get a a pretty solid deal. And then, you know, I don't have any pets. I don't have a girlfriend at the moment. I don't really have like, no one's counting on me. So I really have no risk. And I've spoken to some other people, right? If you have like a family, like you're you're looking at paying for your kids' college and everything, that just starts to add uh, just more and more layers of risk. And I just don't have any of that. And th- I guess that would be the second component, not having risk. First component being having Rylan, And then the third component, I'd say I've always been like working really hard for something like my entire life. Up until like land. it was always like college school, like getting super good grades I, I got like a handful, maybe five B's in college throughout the whole thing. So I was like always like super dedicated. Other people weren't as focused. And I wasn't always like the smart. I was definitely like towards like the, especially at Cal Poly, I was towards like the lower end of like people who were smart in the class. So I always had to work harder and like put in more hours. So I think that that also contributes to it a bit. So I'd say those those three things.
0: Are you measuring smarts by the grades you got or some like assessment test or how hard you had to work or...
1: Some of those people in those class, a lot of them were just really naturally like didn't have to study, just uh, really high IQ people. And I never like considered myself one of those, especially in comparison to them. So I felt like I always had to work a bit harder. But like working harder, you know, like led me to, to where like I can transfer that, like what I was putting my energy there. It's like a very easy transition from there to like now. It was just like all focused on academics to now it's pretty much all focused on business. So,
0: I can sort of relate to that, Ryan, in that I also had to work really hard and I also felt like the least smart person in my grades were also terrible. That's the one thing we were different. From
2: <laughs> I think those that did really, really well in school and honestly like had that like high IQ are typically really bad entrepreneurs a lot of time. There's like a rare breed, like you'll get an Elon Musk that's like actually brilliant, but... I think a majority of entrepreneurs that I personally know that are like sub $30 million a year, because that's more my circle, aren't that, you know, IQ of like 170 plus or whatever. I I think those folks just tend to overthink everything and not take action, right? And this is probably like the worst compliment I've ever given out is to my, um, one of my really good friends who Seth, you know, really well, Peter Nukasani, (laughs) Peter, if you're listening, I love you, brother. I I tell him and I say this to his face and around other people, this isn't like a behind the back thing. But I tell him he's a classic underthinker, And because of that, he's going to go a lot further than most people. So it it sounds like a backhanded compliment. And I don't mean it in a mean way. But because he doesn't overthink things, he just gets things done. Like he doesn't over engineer process, he doesn't over engineer inputs, you know, and so he's, he's just phenomenal at executing, like he sets his mind to something and does it. And so anyways, Ryan, it seems like you're, you're at least one of those folks that doesn't overthink it and you'll take action and you'll get the results and get it done. So it ends up becoming an advantage when you jump into entrepreneurship. Seth, would you agree with that?
0: Oh yeah, totally. I I would totally agree with that assessment with Peter. And I remember I might've even told him that uh, when we were hanging out last where (laughs) I I have the curse of, of, uh, overthinking things. Like it really screws me up bad sometimes. And I, I envy how he can just. It almost feels careless, but like it works for him. I mean, it, he's, he's gets way farther than most people do because he's in one way or another, he's not letting this overthinking thing trip him up. But yeah, I would agree on that. So Ryan, is there anything about this business that you think has been particularly hard or do you struggle in any specific way? Or has there ever been a time when you're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it in this. Tell us about some of the hard stuff.
1: Back, you know, four, four or five months ago, <laughs> it was, it was a definitely a bit stressful. and. There was a point where I was still like maybe like close to breaking even on money. Just just for your reference, had some good potential deals, but you know how it is. It's always so far out that it's like okay, that's you can't really count that as as money in the bank. And then so I, I, I had a conversation one night with my mom, and both my parents are engineers and like not really entrepreneurs at all. They're very like safe, don't like taking risks, and of course they want the best for me. So she's like you know, this job's coming up in like two months that I have to make that decision. So she's like, oh, are you going to take the job? I'm like, I I still don't know. I kept telling her, like, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And then I remember that night, there was just like a pretty big argument on the phone. And yeah, after that, I was like, oh man, like I'll just try to do it part-time at work. Like, And I was was feeling pretty down. And Rylan was in the other room like and I came. I came in. We were we were sharing the same room at the start when we moved to to Florida. Right when I'd graduated, so I'd walk back in, and our, our room was so small, and like our desks were right next to each other. It was pretty funny. But uh, I walked back into the room, and he could tell. Like I think he might have heard the conversation, and then like saw me walk in, all down. And I I just remember like being like pretty sad about it. And then Rylan like gave me this this huge pep talk, and uh yeah, I, just, I think he stole a couple I like quotes from Hormozzi, who I didn't know at the time, but he's just like saying like, oh, like, don't take advice from anyone who like, you don't want to be in in their position. And that was like, that really hit me. And I was like, of course, I love my mom and everything. And and she likes the job that she does. And I could see that it was probably a job that I I wouldn't like. I mean, if I was going to do engineering, like the hard part for me was this was like a really like Working for them was like a super great experience, super great company. But it was like, I don't know if that's what I, I wanted to do. But if I was going to do it, I'd want to work for them. So that's why it was tough because I'd worked so hard and like like kept my grades good, all, all this and, and like spent like multiple summers interning. And then it's like, okay, like I have to take this job in a couple months. Are you going to take it or, or are you not? So that's why there was like an extra amount of, of pressure on me, the, the reason why I think I, I decided not to was just like a lack of control. You know, when you work there, but uh, you'd come home, you'd hear your parents talking about which like boss they had. Like sometimes it'd be great. It's like, oh, my boss is so great. All this, like I, I really enjoy working for him and, and everything's just running smooth. And then they, would you know, you hear about them getting another boss who's like borderline abusive. And it's like, like you can't control that. And then also working in engineering just been like a super... Like male white dominated thing for like a super long time. So like being a white male going into that field, it's like, you start to think like that, you know, they do like a great job of hiring like diverse people and like pushing them into positions. But then you start to think like, I selfish, like, I think that's a really good thing to do, but selfish. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to get like left out of the equation somewhere. If like that's what I choose. So like all those things were sort of going through my head. And, uh, that, that's why I was like, and after Ron had, had gave me the the pep talk and everything, I, I I decided right after that, like, I don't care. I'm just going to do it. If if I run out of money, I run out of money. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter that much to me. So that was like, that was kind of the moment when I knew like, okay, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to push through. I don't care if I have to be down money for a while, but I, I I know, like, I see how successful he is. And so I'm like, if he can do it, like, I, I know I can get like, I can be half that successful and I'd be fine with that. Um, So having him to look up to is super great as well.
0: Here you talk about him, it almost kind of makes me wish I like had another Land Investor friend like right here in town. I could like get together with them and or invite them over here in the same tiny room, and we could work back to back and just just be plugging away in the same environment. You know, not like in each other's business necessarily, but just like there for each other. You know, I got to be super helpful. I got plenty of people I could like go out of my way, like let's let's schedule a Zoom call for two weeks from now and talk about it. But no, like I just I want somebody right here, right now who just like gets me. From what you're saying there, it almost sounds like that could almost be the difference between you winning or losing at this—is having somebody else to like support when you you, when you're about to fall apart. I don't know if that was your situation or not, but I mean, I could totally see that being the case for a lot of people.
1: No, guaranteed, because I I have a lot of that same energy of like being very secure with everything I. Everything I do, like always having some savings, always like being secure, and he—he's a bit of the opposite way. So when, like, I, I wouldn't have made it. There's no way I would have made it without him. So, so yeah. And if you need someone, Seth, to live with, you can leave the family, come out to Florida. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll we got long it. and hard about that you <laughs> <can't> Sleep on a <laughs> <the laughs> <air mattress. laughs>
2: Quite the offer, Ryan. I will say. So very, my very um, <laughs> we we really <laughs> My my COO, my partner, Ben, my business partner uh, in the land biz actually moved out to Texas with me. And so he and I are living in the same house until I get married in June. And Seth, like everything you're saying, absolutely right. Like we were doing this across the country for a bit where I was in Chicago and he was in uh, Tacoma, Washington. And then when I moved to Texas, he was like, dude, I'll move to Texas. And so I was like, I have a third bedroom. Why don't you come crash until you get somewhere? And then he moved in and it was just awesome. Where and this is this is going to sound you know people are different, but I love working and I work like most hours of the day and so we're just always working now like it's super fun. The amount of times I've walked out of like my bedroom at like eight pm and I'm like Ben, you doing anything? And he's like now what's up? And I just start whiteboard. We have a three foot by five foot whiteboard in the living room. <laughs> we just go at it for like two and a half hours. It's just been really really fun. So. Getting to do that, like... That
0: sounds so awesome, man.
2: Yeah. It's not as much competition like you're talking about where Mastering Rockefeller Habits, if you guys have listened to that one. I think it was Charles Schwab in the factory used competition to incentivize teams to move forward. That's what your story about Ryland putting like the 50k texts up on the whiteboard makes me think of. <laughs> um, so we don't necessarily get that. But maybe we should. Maybe we should engineer some competition in the house. I need to find some people to compete against. It's tough, though, because I feel like I make friends with everybody. Seth, do you have any recommendations of people I could make enemies in the next couple of months?
0: <laughs> Ooh, I you know, I don't know of anybody that you would be enemies with. I mean, I've never seen you like butt heads with anybody. It seems like you can get along with everyone I know. So yeah, I don't, unfortunately, but I'll, I'll think about that. Last will ask around if you want me to. I'll put some on the Facebook group and see if anybody.
2: Makes me want to butt heads with somebody.
0: <laughs> so Ryan, I know it's fairly early still in your land investing career, but like where do you foresee this going? Like I. I feel like now more than ever, it's really hard to predict what things are going to look like in one or three or five years. But if you could map it out, how do you foresee your uh, land investing business evolving?
1: Yeah. So I have some bigger goals that I I set for myself. like, And that, that would be like one year, three year and, and 10 year, similar to how EOS does it. Next year, I, I'd like to do 3 million in revenue, which would be about triple of what I'm doing. But... It's been the past like three or four months that have really taken off. So uh, we'll see how it goes. And I uh, would like to do like a million out of that profit. All this is like super high goals that like could potentially happen, but definitely something uh, to reach for. And then 10 years, with the, just the number, I guess, would just be 5 million, like basically 5 million profit, 15 revenue. I don't know of anyone really doing that, but uh, I mean, 10 years is a long time. So got to shoot for something high. And, uh, you know, see if you get there. So,
0: yeah, cool, man.
1: And I th- I mean, I think to get to those bigger numbers, it's probably going to be a team of like 30 to 40 people. I, I really am interested in like running good teams. And I-, I think like that would be a really fun challenge for me is just like, how do you motivate that many people all to move in one direction to a common goal and like still make it a good place to work? I guess those those are the goals. Got them on the wall. We'll see <laughs> We'll see if I rip them down in
0: a a couple months. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So if somebody is listening to this and they have maybe been sitting on the sidelines for a while, they've seen the land flipping business and like, I don't know if that's for me. I don't know if I should do that. Or maybe I am going to do that, but I don't know what to expect. Do you have any words of advice for people in those positions?
1: I think one of the things that you have to do like this, what I realized that in is that this is you? You can't really do this at a high level part time. I, I guess there are some people who can, but I think especially starting off, if you're not full time, it's going to be very very challenging uh, to see any success. And you know that like that like distance where you you see your money come back is just going to get extended and extended. And I think you're just going to get discouraged and discouraged. So as hard as it is, I, I think that if I were to do it again, it's like okay, either like commit to it fully. Or, or don't commit to it all. I think doing it part time is, is super challenging. And then, I mean, if you're going to get into it, you know, and you're, it depends what, what stage of life you're in. But if you're young, like find someone else again who wants to do it and then like push each other and always have someone to bounce I- ideas off of and all of that because that's that's worked super well for, for me and Ryan. So, also, one other thing Costilla County, Colorado,
2: pour all the money in there, it'll come back soon enough. It'll come back at ninety nine down ninety nine a month for three years. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh. No, yeah. Also, don't don't work in those super uh, super like I don't know. I don't even know what to call them. Colorado, Arizona, maybe you'll find success there. But do bigger deals in places where there's less people sending mail.
0: Your first uh, deal in New York. What made you pick New York at all? Like, why did you go there of all places?
1: I don't know. I think I was just scrolling around on a map and landed on new york i i still do that to this day i'll just pick rat like if i run out of places that i like in a, in a certain state i'll just randomly pick a new state i'm not doing any like sort of analytics on population growth or, or anything uh, my theory is there's good deals in every county you just you know have to find them if it's a worse county lower demand then you'll be able to likely get a better deal because less people are mailing there I think a lot of people starting out, and I guess this kind of tails off our last conversation, a lot of people starting off will analyze counties for hours and hours and hours. And at some point, it's like, I I don't really care. At this scale, too, with how how much I'm sending out, I I can't be that picky. I don't spend that much time on pricing. I have someone else pricing. You know, So just don't get too caught up in pricing and picking counties as well.
0: So... I don't know if we really did talk about that. What are you sending out? Is this direct mail, texting, something else? Or like what are your marketing methods and what's working for you?
1: Yeah, so I I started off with mail, and that's how most people start off, and then I moved into texting a bit, and texting was good for a while, got some really good deals, but it seems like it's slowly fading away. I've seen like less than half the leads coming through than I was before. With, with text. So I'm, I'm switching more to mail and just trying to do the same volume that I was texting now, like switching over to mail. So I'm trying to send like 20,000 a month in mail.
0: And are you sending like blind offers or neutral letters or what exactly does your mail look like?
1: Yeah. So I, I send all ranges. I Again, I don't have statistics on it. I think that would be a good thing to track in the future, but all range offers, that'll be the same with text and with mail. And I think that's just a good way of saying, hey, we're gonna if it's market values, a hundred thousand will offer anywhere from thirty to seventy, something along maybe thirty-five to sixty-five. So basically saying like, hey, like we're gonna be paying below market value. So that's why I like the range is that they sort of get that idea for the most part, and you have to qualify them a little bit less. And then blinds hard because people do get it in their head. Like, Hey, you offered me 20,000. Like, where's my (laughs) 20,000? And so that's, that's a bit difficult as well. So I I just figured range is like, that's how I would do it in my head. And it makes a lot of sense to me. So yeah, just having a range there. We'll do that for texting too. Like if people are interested in our offer, send them, Hey, we can pay between this and that. Can you like, are you interested? If they say yes, then we'll push them to follow up, boss, get them on a call. So. That's the method. I'm not sure if it works. And I'm not sure if you should take my advice. I've been doing it for six months, seven months. <laughs> I'm in no position to be giving advice.
0: <laughs> well, everybody is a teacher on some level. And uh, you certainly know things like a lot of other people don't. So, yeah. So, Ryan, appreciate you sharing all your uh, story with us here today. As we kind of wrap this up, I wanted to close with the three closing questions that we sometimes ask of people. So, question number one. What is your biggest fear?
1: I guess something that I, I would be fearful of, and I've I've heard a lot of people like warn me against it, is just putting too much time into like a business like this. And I know that sounds like a little weird, but I, I have been working with everything that I have. And I know like some people like I feel like it, it like I really have truly put like everything that I have into this and just working some some really crazy hours. So I mean this is a time. Like people looking back, you're not like, I'm not going to care when I'm 80 that I made an extra 40,000 because I like squeezed one more deal out. So I think just being very, very conscious of that and not le- like not being grateful for like where I am and always trying to shoot for something bigger. I think that that would be something that that I'm fearful of and try to take steps away from that. So. Overall, my plan is like I started doing it full time in April. I think after April, this like I'll put everything. That was my plan when I went in, like, let me put this everything in I can for a year, see where I get. And then I think in April, we're going to start me and my roommate Ron are going to start traveling around a bit and just like rewarding ourselves for how much we did put in. Because if, if you don't stop and you just head down for too many years, I'm fearful of, of that.
0: Cool, man. So what are you most proud of? I think I'm
1: most proud of my discipline. I think that would, would be what I'm, I'm most proud of. And I guess I value myself on that a lot. And just in the business and like working out, like I, I'm very focused on, on working out, staying in good shape too. So I think I'm most proud of always having a desire to improve. That's been over a range of things. Like, you know, when I was younger, I I didn't get into the gate class in my elementary school. And I was like, I was so, like, I remember my parents told me I was just sh- shaking up about it. And ever since then, I was like, I want to be like really good at school. And then I-, I wasn't that good socially as a kid. My brother is super good socially. And then I was like, I want to, I want to like get good socially. So like, let me study and like, let me try to get out of my comfort zone and go like talk to more people. And yeah, I think just that desire to, to improve and, and discipline there is, is what I'm most proud of.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. I think it's actually really cool to see anybody who's not born with some inherent gift, but they like figure out how to do it anyway, or even get some of the way there. I mean, that takes a lot of work when it's not just handed to you at birth and like you have to struggle through it and figure out like, how do I, how do I make this thing work? Like on a social level, I can totally relate relate to that too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's tough because, because it has to be every day, just continuous, continuous.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. So last question, let's pretend you just got a hundred million dollars wired to your bank account and you're not allowed to stay in the land business, but you're free to do anything else you want to do. What would you do for the rest of your life?
1: I don't really like the idea of like getting that much money. I, I really like earning things. And I think that would like completely like recircuit everything where like it would make everything that I've done so far, like it would feel more meaningless. And I think it wouldn't like motivate me to like do anything more. I don't, I don't think I'd, I think I'd probably give it a, ideally I'd give it away, but who knows? Like I'd probably keep a couple million just stashed in case like I go broke or something. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to like stop working and like just go sit on the beach all day because that, that doesn't sound fun. Right. Like someone needs it a lot more than I do. So
0: any idea who you would give it to?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe my brother, see, see what he gets into will
2: probably get a, a <laughs> no, Ajay, we're, we're gonna start. Right? <laughs> I've got some ideas for you, Ryan. Don't you worry, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Ajay, you like the you like the challenge too. You
1: you wouldn't want it. You, you'd want to keep working. <laughs> You're totally right.
0: I know what you mean when you say it would kind of recircuit everything. Because I mean, it totally would. And I think what's going on there in me, anyway, is like I put a lot of my value in what I'm able to produce or like generate as a person or value I can bring to others. And like, if that's all, like, if that capacity is neutered or taken away or whatever word you want to use, like what now? Like what, what is my purpose? Where does my value come from? If it's just like, Done already, so it's kind of a trip to figure that out.
1: I talked around a lot about this a lot. How we're we're like the guy in the uh, Greek mythology? I forget his name that pushes the rock up the hill every day.
0: Oh yeah,
2: Prometheus. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds right. Or is Prometheus the one that got eaten by birds? I can't remember. One of the two, but (laughs) but anyways, I feel
1: like there's some value into pushing that rock up the hill every day, and like maybe you don't have to do it every day, but uh, without doing that, you're just going to be lost and. It's not a very exciting or fun life to live. I think living a life where you could make a million dollars on your own is way more, like you're way more proud of it. You're way more interesting. Like there's more respect given to you than like just winning a lottery or or any of that. So just that challenge, I I think is like what attracts me to business and everything. So I I wouldn't want (laughs) to live without the challenge.
0: Well, it's interesting because it makes me wonder that statement there is made with the assumption that you're making X number of dollars. What if that number of dollars was cut in half? like, would you still like the challenge? What if it was cut down to 25%, 10%? What if it was nothing? What if you have made no money. Would you work just for the heck of it? Makes me wonder like how much of this is money in the reward versus the actual value of the work itself.
1: Yeah. I was going to say it's tricky as you keep going lower and lower, everything's going well right now. But I mean, even if like at this, I'm sure if I had a family, I'd want some sort of safety net. But at this point, I think you know, it, it, maybe it'd make a more interesting story, right? You, you start not making, you start losing money. What are you going to do? Like you have to pick yourself up. I think that's a more interesting story than, than someone who just started with, you know, a hundred million and like went to the club every night <laughs> <laughs> and uh, got lost and all that. So.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I mean, yeah, running Tips for as long as I have totally different business to land, but even seeing it play out in land too, like you do this long enough, you will have to reinvent yourself. Like the stuff that you could just take for granted at one point, like it doesn't work anymore or it doesn't work nearly as much as it used to. So I think that's a story everybody has to survive through at some point, um, especially in this rapidly changing world we're now in. So
2: absolutely. Well, I know like Seth, the first time you had me on, I was uh, just coming out of a season where I was a hundred percent into like Florida infill lots, you know, and I saw when interest rates shot up and builders got real you know, scared and how they tightened up that there was an element of risk in the business. And there's a theme with me that anybody who's listened to enough of my interviews knows that I don't like when other people have control over my business, which is why I continue to modify it. And to your point, reinvent myself in the business. And so I've seen what happened and you know, God forbid it happens again the way that it did. But I see some folks I talk to who are 100% all in on like just these small assignment fees to builders, You know, two to five to $10,000 assignment fees these tiny infill lots, and that's their entire business model. And I'm like, dude, like, I hope you're not carrying a lot of overhead or debt right now, because you could get wrecked in a heartbeat. One thing changes at the Fed level. And like, it just, you know, and and I hope it doesn't happen to them. But I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen to me by engineering on a different side. On on the flip side, that what's really interesting is when you get thinking about the challenges, Ryan, you're talking about, right, you like the challenge, you like problem solving and kind of the the build of it all, right? at some level, like money is just the success metric of, of business, right? It's just a consequence of good business. And so Seth, when you start asking the question, am like, okay, what if it were cut down to, to nothing? It's like, well, well then what's the success metric? How do we measure who's winning and who's losing? Because I think most entrepreneurs you talk to, they like winning, but they hate losing, right? Like almost every entrepreneur I know hates losing like 30 times more than they love winning. Winning feels nice. You know, I've gotten six figure wires into my bank account. And I'm like, that was cool. But you know what motivated me more was the thought of losing like a four grand assignment sometimes, which is like illogical, right? But it's it's how your brain is wired. Like a pain aversion is something I use a lot to actually motivate myself because we use humans fear losing something more than we want to go get something or whatever. But anyways, last thing I'll say is just like $100 million is so much money to deploy as well. Like if you dropped it into my bank account from a sheer business sense, and you were like, "Can you go put this to work?" I don't know that I could. That's so much. Like I'd 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 stick it in a like a a a treasury account, and it would spit out five million bucks a year. I guess that's kind of wild when you think about. Like Ryan, your your three year goal is five million net. If you had a hundred million bucks, you could just stick it in treasury bonds, and you'd be there, man. You know. So I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, but just a couple of thoughts rattling around my brain as I hear you two smart guys talking about stuff. <laughs> so The a County Mailage. Just dump it all. Dump it all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send out forty thousand mailers every day for the rest of time.
0: When you say that uh, that money is the success metric, so I would agree. But I'm wondering why and like should it be? I know when you're talking about like a nonprofit, for example, it's almost like they're ashamed to make money. Like a lot of them go out of their way to publicly tell everybody, look how much money we're not making. You know, look how much money we're not saving here. We're just giving it away to the community or whatever their mission is. And understandably, I mean, that's why they exist or should be. But it does make me wonder. Like, on on one hand, I totally get it and totally agree. Like, the the money is why we're doing this. I don't know, should it be? Like, what if the money were cut in half or cut by seventy five percent or whatever? But you were achieving some great good in the world. Is that okay? Would you just keep operating, making hardly any money, or operating at a loss to serve that mission? Or when I, when I look about land, I don't. I don't see a huge mission per se, for the most part. It's not like people are going to die if they don't have their land or something like that, but any thoughts?
2: Yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. Got tons of thoughts. Um, I I do this thing where I play ping pong in my brain. Like I play both sides and figure out somewhere in the middle of where I want to settle in on an argument. So first the question, should it be the success metric, right? And I think to properly answer that, you'd then have to ask yourself the question, what's the alternative, right? Um, Because if impact... Were the consequence, well, how do you quantify impact? Is it like by the amount of people you touch? Cause now, now it's a numbers game. Like, what if I go around high fiving as many people as possible? Right. So like, there needs to be some sort and it, right. It sounds silly out loud, but there has to be some quantifiable, measurable result that's tangible at some level. I don't know what that substitute would be. What I do know is money can buy freedom. Money can buy options and money can pay people. Right. And so, like, obviously, I think the three of us sitting here are all aware that impact and money can go hand in hand, right? And so, like, I, I know I like to give to some charities and churches and pay my staff and, and you know, uh, be generous with bonuses at times and do all those things. But I don't know. It just, like, unfortunately, the answer to my question is another question of, like, okay, if it's not money, what would it be? And if it is, how do we make that measurable, right? So... It's really interesting, really interesting thought. Ryan, what are are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I I agree with with what you said at the start, too. It's like, if not money, then what is it? I think there is a a sliding scale to where it's like, okay, like, at some point, I'm I'm trying to save up money and want to have a family at some point, right? So that'd be a goal. But like, at some point, like, where does that end? And where does like greed begin? Like, I think there's there's a line in there and, and, you know, you go too far down one way when you could be using that money to just do better things. But, you know, as you're making more money, that gives you more in like, that's the most influential thing there is to like do good in the world. So I think like with more money, you could
2: have a more positive impact. I agree. And it's something I go back and forth on a lot with. So like greed, I think don't quote me on this, but I think can be defined as the love of money. Right. So like you love the money itself um, versus like what it can do. And, you know, I, I think I've shared my faith here on Tipster before. And I think we're allowed to do that. Seth, feel free to tell me no, if not, but I'm I'm a Christian and, you know, I think something I think about a lot uh, and actually that I've been challenged by a, a friend of mine and somebody who I now consider a mentor, JD Hill, he's getting really cool stuff going in land, but the idea of being a good steward of money, right? Because like, okay, if. Me, Ajay, and Ryan, and Seth are all given gifts and blessings and talents from God. And we use those. And now all of a sudden you have half a million dollars in the bank at 23, right? That's pretty cool. How do you steward that well? Is it by paying people well and creating a good working environment? Is it by taking care of your parents in early retirement? Is it by buying a Lambo? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, What does it actually mean to be a good steward? Is that one for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Not a trick question, guys. (laughs) But, you know, it's how do I do good with this money? And then I struggle sometimes when it comes to like tithing. I, you know, especially as an entrepreneur, your income is not always consistent. And so I don't have good financial systems where I do give regularly and I'll go and like not give for a while and then go give a $20,000 lump sum randomly. And I'm pretty sporadic with that. Um, which makes me like a, a hit for a lot of these nonprofits I do donate to because <laughs> they're like, Hey, we saw this large sum came you know? and now I'm on like their annual fundraising lists, <laughs> which is a whole other conversation. <laughs> but the point being, I struggle sometimes in trusting God because I am like, well, I know how to multiply this, right? It's like, no, 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 no. You were given gifts and you were given blessings and you're being a good steward. But like that is separate from trusting that God can do more with your money than you can. So I don't know how we ended up on this, but being a good steward is what I want to fall back on of just like, you know, it's not really ours.
0: Yeah. Well, it it was a good question. You said, if not money, what else? If we're trying to figure out what else is there and what else does matter and that kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, I would agree that is the best or the better or the the way to handle that conversation in terms of what's the next step. But then you got to decide, okay, why does that matter? Like, who is that serving? What's the point of that? Does that matter eternally or even a few years from now? Or does it just make me feel good? And we probably won't find the answer today. But uh, good stuff to ponder. And I hope the listeners out there are pondering it as well. Ryan, thanks again for coming on the show and talking with us. was a pleasure to talk to you. Great to meet you at the Unconference thing a few weeks back. Uh, if people want to learn more about you or connect with you, you don't have to share anything. But if you want to, is there a way they should do that? Or
1: Thanks, Seth, for having me on. I appreciate yeah. it. I had a lot of fun with uh, you and Ajay. So I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to connect with me, ryan at longhornlandholdings.net. That's my email. We have a funny little YouTube channel, me and Ryland, the Home Office Heroes. Go like and subscribe over there. And uh, some good content there. It's <laughs> it's basically us on the couple days a month where we, where we do take off and have some fun. So go check us out there. And uh, yeah, if you have any double-close you want to partner with, or in my advice, want some charity work, <laughs> I'm always there.
0: Cool, man. Thanks again. Appreciate it. And um, let's stay in touch. For the listeners out there, if yeah. you want to uh, see the show notes for this episode, it's retipster.com forward slash 175. you want to go ahead and text the word free to the number 33777, you can stay up to date on all things happening in the world of REtipster. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey folks, I hope you love what you just heard. Before you go, I want to make sure you're aware of the RE REtipster newsletter. This is something that we spend a lot of time pulling in content and conversations from throughout the RE REtipster community. We want to make sure you're aware of the hottest stuff that's going on right now. Things like active deals from other wholesalers in the community and the RE REtipster deal marketplace or changes in the industry that affect you and you need to know about. And of course, I'm always sharing the latest software and tools and services that I'm using that I think you should know about. And if you've followed RE Tipster for any length of time, you already know there's a whole lot more I could talk about because there's a lot that happens in our community each week. And this is stuff you really don't want to miss. And that's why it's so important for you to be aware of what's going on. All you got to do is take out your phone, maybe even the phone you're listening to right now, go ahead and text the word FREE, that's F-R-E-E, to the number 33. Seven seven seven, And we'll get you added to the email list so you get this newsletter and you're always aware of the most important things going on in our industry. Thanks again for listening. Again, just text the word FREE to 33777 and we'll get you squared away. Talk to you next time.